that. Amen. All right, so we are continuing week two of the series called Gifts of Grace. We're not going to talk about the gifts yet. We're going to get there. I got some more groundwork to lay here. And so I've titled the message this morning, Great Mercies and Living Sacrifices. Great Mercies and Living Sacrifices. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word here today. Lord, it is your word, as it says in the book of Hebrews, that it is sharper than any two-edged sword and that it pierces and it cuts, it, it divides, it separates, it exposes, and it is your word that heals. And Lord, we thank you for the power of your word to work in each and every heart here today. I pray that everyone here would be receptive, that they would hear your word with glad hearts and that they would respond as you would call them. And I pray this morning that you would help me to open my mouth to preach your word and to exalt Christ. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There was a Marine in World War II. His name was John Bazzaloni. And he fought in World War II, and he received the Medal of Honor uh, because of his heroism in the Battle of Guadalcanal. And so he comes home, he receives the honor, and, and the intention of the Marine Corps was not to send him back because of the heroics and because of the honor that he received. And they wanted to use him to raise morale in our country for the war, for the war efforts. And so they had parades for him and celebrations. And, and so he, he was a part of all of that. And they told him, you're not going back. You're not going back to war. But he wanted to go back. And he kept making request after request to go back. He wanted to be in the battle. Even though he had experienced great difficulty and, and, and great challenge in World War II and in great battle, he, he wanted to go back and they kept denying him and kept denying him. And finally, they gave him his request and he goes back into battle and he died in World War II. He eventually died. And he's one of the great American heroes of World War II. He, he goes and he gives his life, even though he had already spent years of his life there in World War II in battle. And he was a great hero, received the Medal of Honor, even though he comes home and receives parade after parade. And he, he has meaning and purpose to try to raise morale in our country for the world, to, for the war, he went back. He didn't have to go back, but he wanted to go back. What was it? What, were the, what was the reason? What was the motivation? What, what, what was it? Well, I, I believe that it was a motivation in the depths of his heart for, for sacrifice. He had, a, he had a desire to sacrifice his life, to give of his life for a greater good, for a greater cause. And that was what motivated him. And, and what we're going to see here in this text what we're going to unpack here in, in Romans 12, at, we're going to get to Romans 12 uh, this morning. We're only going to look at one verse in Romans 12. I believe that just like John Maz, uh, uh, Bazzaloni had an inward motivation to sacrifice. He, he, had, he sacrificed his life, but it was because it was an inward motivation in his heart to serve, to be a part of a greater good and a greater cause. I believe that Paul the Apostle, before he talks about spiritual gifts, before he talks about the gifts that are used in the body of Christ for our uplifting and our upbuilding and for the spread of the gospel outside of the four walls. Before he gets into the spiritual gifts, in Romans 12, 1, in this one verse, he lays a foundation for the reason why we do anything for God. He lays a foundation for the motivation that all of us should have as Christians, and not only as Christians, but as a body of Christ, as a body of believers. Why? What is our why? Why do we live for Christ? Why does Candace and Stephen go across 
to Honduras and to live with such great sacrifice. Why do they do that? What is their why? When you figure out your why, you're willing to go do that. When you figure out your why, you're willing to do anything for the cause of Christ, for the glory of his name. And before Paul begins to deal with gifts in Romans 12, 3, before we get to there, he answers the why. He gives the big why. He starts with motivation. He starts with the reason why believers should take their Christian life serious. He starts, he gives the reason why Christians should, should take serious their connection with the body of Christ and their, and their service for the kingdom and for the glory of Christ. He gets to the reason why. So if I was to say that what the main point of this message would be, here's the main point, here's the main thought we're going to see in Romans 12.1. The Christian who has experienced the mercy of God will desire to live sacrificially for the glory of Christ. The Christian who has experienced the mercy of God will desire to live sacrificially for the glory of Christ. This is the point of Romans 12, 1. Let's look at the text. One verse we're going to unpack here this morning. Before, over the next couple of weeks, we get to the gifts of grace that he's given us. Here's Romans 12.1. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. One verse, two thoughts, two simple realities connected with our big reason why and the sacrificial living that we are called to as Christians. Two realities of the Christian life from one verse. Here's the first point that we're going to see in this verse, in verse 1. First thing is this, is that mercy is our motivation. What's the big why? I've, I've let the cat out of the bag right away. What is our motivation? What is the big why? Say it with me. Mercy. Mercy is our motivation. Paul starts and he says, I appeal to you. I am making my appeal to you. I'm entreating you. I am calling you. I'm about to call you to something. He says, he's about to say, he's about to say, hey, look, here's these gifts that the Holy Spirit's given the church. And, 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 and this is how God wants to use these gifts for the building up of the body of Christ so that we can all become mature in the faith and, and that these gifts can be used for the furtherance of the gospel. And so we're going to get to those gifts and, and how the body is to function. But I'm, I want to appeal to you on the front end. Before I talk about your function, I want to talk about your motivation. Mercy is our motivation. You know, Paul spent 11 chapters doing something, building up. And this is the pattern of what he did in all of his letters. He talked about all the things that God has done. In Ephesians, he did it in the first three chapters in Ephesians. And he does it in the first 11 chapters in Romans. This is what God has done. And this is what we are called to do. He, had all, he always had that pattern in his letters. And this is what he does. He spends three chapters, the first three chapters of Romans, showing that everyone is guilty before God. Everyone. Everyone. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All are guilty before God. First three chapters, everyone's guilty. The non-religious, the religious, the pagan, those who don't want anything to do with God, everyone and all people are guilty before God. And then chapter four, five, six, and seven, he he begins to lay out the, the price that Christ has paid so that we could become the righteousness of God through the sacrifice of Christ. And he culminates that in Romans chapter seven. And then he gets to Romans eight. 
oh, one, one of these days we're going to go through Romans. Or maybe I, I don't know if I'm going to have to, if I'm going to be able to wait to get through, to do Romans as a whole study. I may just have to preach Romans 8 by itself, like I'm doing here with Romans 12. He gets to Romans 8 and he declares that nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing, not trials, not difficulties, not pain, not suffering, not even ourselves. If we belong to Christ and we are his and we are his children, Paul tells us in the book of Romans 8, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus. And then he gets to Romans 10 and he says this. He says, if you will believe in your heart and you will confess with your mouth that Jesus is God and that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. First 10, 11 chapters, he's talking about what God has done, what Christ, what God has done for us through Christ. And then he gets to Romans 12 and he says, I entreat you. I implore you. I appeal to you. I appeal to you by the mercies of God. By the mercies of God. What does that word by mean? You know, you wouldn't think it would really mean a whole lot, but when you really, you put your cursor over the word by in Romans 12.1 and you look on your Logos Bible study software and it shows you the Greek meaning of the word by, you know what it means? It means because of, on behalf of, on account of, on account of, because of, on behalf of. So what Paul says here, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, on account of, because of the mercies of God. I'm appealing to you and I'm going to tell you some things that I think you should do and things that you're responsible to do and your calling as a Christian. But before we get there, I want to make an appeal to you because of the mercies of God. He wants them to understand that mercy is their motivation. The mercy of God in their life is their motivation. Paul's could have made his appeal differently. He could have said, I appeal to you because I'm an apostle. I, I appeal to you because I'm a great man of God and because I'm telling you that, that this is what you should do and how you should function. That's what I'm going to make my charge from. But he doesn't say that. He says, I appeal to you because of the mercy of God. He's not pointing them to his authority. He's not saying, listen to me because of who I am. What is he saying? He's saying, I'm urging you towards something because what you have received. Listen, listen. He says, I'm urging you towards something because of what you have received. What, 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 what have we received? The mercy of God. The mercy of God. We see this reality of undeserved mercy throughout Scripture. So what about the mercy of God? We have received the mercy of God. And this is Paul, the apostle, writing about the mercy of God. Paul would have known a lot about the mercy. Wouldn't he, wouldn't he have known a lot about mercy? Who was Paul before he was Paul, the apostle? Saul of Tarsus. You guys know the story of Saul of Tarsus? Saul of Tarsus, he was a devoted Jew. He was trained under the greatest rabbis, and he understood Torah, Torah, the law of God, was his passion. And he thought he saw it as his goal to protect the purity of Judaism. And we see in Acts chapter 9, after the birth of the church in Acts 2 and, and, and the gospel is being spread, Christianity is being spread, Paul is seeking to destroy Christianity. Christianity was a threat to Judaism. And look what, look what it says in Acts chapter 9. Let's, let's see the mercy of God in Paul's life. Who was, who was Paul? He was Saul, Acts 9, 1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked 
him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, the way, you know what that means? That means it's the way of Christ. That's what Christianity was called. It was called the way. Because what would Christians say about Christ? He would, they would say that Christ was the way to God. He was the way to God. So that's what it became. That's what it was called. Christianity was the way. Men and women, he says, he says, I want letters so I can, if I find any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. Listen to those words there in Acts 9. Paul, Saul, excuse me, Saul of Tarsus was breathing out threats and murder. You know what that picture, when, when I read that, it's the picture of just a deep-seated anger and hatred for these people who are, in his mind, perverting Judaism. In his mind are threats to the purity of the Old Testament law. And he was breathing out murderous threats and, and he wanted to see the way extinguished. This is Saul of Tarsus. Now look, like, like you can, you can be somebody who is antagonistic against Christianity. You can be somebody who in some way maybe you don't like Christians and the way that they live and the way that, that, that they talk, but there's a, there's a big difference between not liking to be around Christians and desiring to murder Christians. Wouldn't you agree there's a big difference? There's a huge difference. I know there, there will be people in your life that don't like you because of the stance you make for Christ, because of what you believe about God's word, and because of, you believe Jesus is the only way. But it's a whole other thing to have somebody who says, yeah, I don't like you. I don't like the stance that you make and, and what you believe. But not only do I not like you, but I want to kill you. I want to murder you. Saul was breathing out threats and murderous words towards Christians. And he gets on the road. He's headed to get authority to round up more Christians. And you guys know the story, right? And for, 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 and for those who may not know it, you continue on reading in Acts 9. A voice from heaven and a light from heaven shined down and knocked Saul off of his horse, off of his donkey. And the Lord speaks and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And the Lord changed his life. He blinds him. The Lord blinds him and says, stop persecuting me. I'm going to tell you the truth and show you the way. And, and he was led blind to Ananias' house. And, and, and when he was miraculously cured of his blindness, it was like scales that fell from his eyes. And Ananias preached the gospel to him. And Saul of Tarsus was converted. So much so was it crazy that, that, that because of his persecution of Christians, when Saul began his early ministry, people were afraid of him. They were like, is, is this the real deal? Or is this like a clandestine mission? He's going to act like he's a Christian and, he's, and we're going to get, he's going to get into our house and he's going to kill us all. Right? That was le the legitimate fear that was going on because of how far gone Saul was against the Christian way. But God saved him. God saved him. And listen to what, listen to what Paul says. He writes later in his life, he writes to young Timothy, Pastor Timothy, and Paul describes himself. He says in 1 Timothy 1, he says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent, and an insolent opponent, but I received mercy. The saying is trustworthy and full, uh, deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came in the world to save sinners. Of whom, some translations say, of whom I am the chief, of whom I am the foremost. But I received Mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, as the chief 
chiefest of sinners, Jesus Christ might display its perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. So the question, when you look at Paul's life, you go on further, you read about his life, you read about all the sufferings he went through, you can read about how he was shipwrecked and he was beaten and he was beaten 40 times by, by, by whips and he was shipwrecked and he was left cold and naked and exposed and, and, and he, was, he was persecuted and, and went through various trials and many difficulties because of his belief in Christ and his desire to spread the gospel. Why did Paul, why was he willing to sacrifice? Why was he willing to go the extra mile? Why was he willing to endure the pain and the suffering? Why? Because of this reason, I received mercy. Because of mercy. He was able to do it because he realized who he was. He was able to persevere because he realized who he was. For this reason, he says, I have received mercy. Paul had his why. He had his why. He knew who he was. He knew who he he used to be. And he knew what Christ had done for him. Mercy was his motivation. And mercy is our motivation. It's the reason why we do what we do. It's the reason why we come and we worship on Sundays. It's the reason why we live for Christ day to day. It's the reason why, it's the reason why we do all for Christ. Have you ever, have you ever been to a, a restaurant or a hospitality business? And you interact with the employees and you realize they don't know why they're doing what they're doing. You, re, you, 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 you figure out really quickly they don't know their why. They have forgot the reason why they do what they do. Right. They, they, they're not patient. You, you, you ever been to a restaurant like that? They're not patient. A business like that? They're, they're aggravated. You walk up and it feels like they don't even want you to be there. And you, and you, and you, and you want to look at them and say, hey, wait a minute. I'm a customer. You're offering a service. You want me to be here. But they, there's nothing in their body language. There's nothing in the way they interact with you. There's, they just don't want you to be there. They don't want to be there. Why does that happen? It's because they forgot their why. It's because they forgot the reason why they are doing what they're doing. And the same is true for us. Mercy should be the lens with which we evaluate our entire life. Mercy, the mercy of God, undeserved mercy and grace should be the lens with which we evaluate our entire life. You know, I think so often we, you know, there, there's this can be this idea that creeps up into Christianity that, that, that maybe we deserve to be saved. And it's something of our own effort and good works that, 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 that God saw that we were worth it. And so he died for us because we're worth it. You know, we, we weren't worth it, my brothers and sisters. We were guilty. We were enemies of the cross, the Bible tells us. And, and God's grace was simply a mercy on us. We didn't deserve it. Mercy is that we receive something we don't deserve. There was nothing good in us that God looked at us and says, oh, because I see goodness in him and I see goodness in her and I see goodness in them, so then I'm going to do something for them. No, God looked and he saw that there was no good in us. There was no no reason that he should look at us and say, I'm, I'm going to be good to them because they've done something so great for me. In fact, it was the opposite. It was the opposite. He did it because of his great love and his desire to be merciful. Mercy is our motivation. So my question for all of us is, is do you remember? Do you remember? Do you remember who you were? You remember the lifestyle you were in? 
You remember the hatred, the anger, the addiction? You remember the sexual sin? You remember the rebellion? Do you remember who you were? Re- remembering, not forgetting. Remembering where God pulled you up from, where, when he, he pulled you up from spiritual death, when he pulled you up from spiritual blindness, when he resurrected you and made you alive. Remembering is important because it reminds us of, of why we do what we do. Do you remember the mercy that God graciously gave you? Do you remember who you were and how you lived? You know, the, the, the truth is this, is that all of us have received mercy. Whether we're Christians or we're not Christians. You know, the fact that God doesn't judge us instantly because of our sin is a mercy. The fact that God doesn't judge instantly those that are sinners and in rebellion against him is a mercy. There is a common mercy that all of creation has right now. Every human being has, whether they are believers or not, God is being merciful to them. And that's what the scripture means, that it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance. That's what that scripture means. What is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance? The goodness of God that leads men to repentance is that when their eyes are awakened to the holiness of God, they realize when they see how holy God is, they're able to see how sinful they are, and then they're able to see how good God is. That God in his holiness and his pure righteousness does not judge us instantly because of our sin. That is the goodness of God that will lead a man or a woman to repentance when they're able to recognize who they were apart from Christ. And he gives them his mercy. I love what Titus 3 says. This is Paul again. This is all of us. Listen, this is, this is us. Listen, for we ourselves were once foolish. Any fools, any former fools in the house? We ourselves were once foolish, disobedient. Any, any people who are disobedient here, amen. We were. But glory be to God, though we were foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness of and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. Amen. Mercy is the motivation. Paul says, I'm about to appeal to you as believers in Christ, as a body of believers. I'm about to appeal to you that you need to you need to function together. You need to serve together. You need to live together in unity and harmony and peace and joy. You need to, to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's all these things I'm going to call you to do. But before I call you to do them, you must know why you are doing them. Mercy is our motivation. Mercy is behind. Mercy is the why behind all we do as believers. So I appeal to you, just as the Apostle Paul Appeal to all of us. I appeal to you. Brothers, sisters, mercy is our motivation. The next question we have to ask ourselves is motivation for what? Well, let's look back at the text. Motivation for what? He says, I appeal to you, therefore, back to verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So mercy is our motivation. Motivation to what? Number two, sacrificial living is our response. Mercy is our motivation. Sacrificial living is what we do. I mean, it's, it's the obvious reality. Paul says, I appeal to you to present your bodies to the Lord. Why? Because I said to? Because it's what you must do? 
No, no. The, the, the heart of what he's saying in verse 1 is this. No, because it's the only reasonable thing to do. Based upon what Christ has done, the only reasonable thing for us to do when we fully understand the mercy of God that we have received in Christ, the only reasonable thing is to live sacrificially for him for the rest of our lives. Sacrificial living. He says, I appeal to you to live sacrificially. To present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Sacrificial living. Paul is about to make his case for the use of spiritual gifts in the life of the church. But before he does that, he is making the case that it is abnormal for a genuine believer to not live a self-sacrificing life. It's abnormal. It's, it's, it's not normal. It would be not normal for those who did, did not deserve life, did not deserve grace, if they receive it freely, for us not to in turn say, Christ, here is my, here's my life. Here's my life. I, I'll take, the, I'll take the fresh milk and I'll boil it and then I'll cool it down and then I'll strain it and then I'll cool it, right? I'll, I'll sacrifice. I'll go into the wooded trees and I'll, 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 I'll cut down all those trees. I think there was somebody I was talking to that went to Honduras and they were, they were getting, who was that I was talking to? Um, and it was one on, on the team that had some, some bug problems, right? Jared, right? So, like, I'm willing to go. I'm willing to go wherever. I'm willing to experience the trials and the difficulties, because that is the least that I can do. A living sacrifice. Isn't that an interesting term, living sacrifices? Aren't sacrifices dead? Right? That's the Old Testament system. They, they, they started alive, but the, 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 the bulls and the goats and the lambs, they had no choice. They were, they were alive, but then they were dead, and they became sacrifices unto God for worship, for the atonement of the sins of the nation of Israel. But that's a weird phrase, a living sacrifice. Paul is calling us to be living sacrifices where do we see living sacrifices in the bible obviously we we see that in in the sacrificial system of the jews for the atonement of sin but here's another interesting story you guys remember abraham was called by god to sacrifice isaac his son abraham had waited for the promise a promised son and he got a little impatient and had a child with a another woman but god was still merciful to him and and Sarah got pregnant and they had a son named Isaac. And when you study the story in Genesis 22 of, of Isaac and, and, and Abraham going up the mountain, you know, it doesn't say how old Isaac was. But when you use context clues and, and you're able to look at the timing of everything, when Isaac would have been born and everything that I've read says that Isaac would have been somewhere between the age of 18 to 30. Most people think around somewhere in his 20s. So most of the time when we read the story in Genesis 22, we think of a little bitty boy that's, that God is asking Isaac, that God is asking Abraham to sacrifice, to give him as an offering to, to him. But I think when we understand that Isaac, you know, whenever Abraham tells Isaac, here, you carry the wood for the sacrifice of the mountain, that's not going to be a four or five-year-old boy carrying wood up a mountain to be a sacrifice. So we understand. Listen, look, look at Genesis 22. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went both of them together. And when they came to the place which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Isaac was a living sacrifice. Isaac could have resisted. But he surrendered. 
He said, I don't get it. I don't understand it. And you can imagine, you read between the lines of this conversation. They're walking up the mountain. Surely, surely there's conversation. Dad, what is going on here? And God, he said, God's going to provide. He'll provide. Can you imagine the conversation leading up to, okay, you're the sacrifice. He allowed his dad to bind him, laid himself on the altar. Ultimately, we know the end of the story. God calls the ram to be caught in the thicket and, and said, Abraham, do not strike your son. God has provided. But I think in the heart of what we see there with Isaac, that Isaac was a living sacrifice. He was willing to even obey God, even when it did not make sense. His dad told him, this is what God has called us to do. And Isaac was a living sacrifice. Who else was a picture of a living sacrifice? Well, obviously, ultimately, Jesus was the picture of the ultimate living sacrifice who willingly laid down his life for the will of his father. Look at Isaiah 53. Speaking of Jesus, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Christ, upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him, on Christ, the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet, listen, a willing, living sacrifice. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. Like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. A willing sacrifice, a living sacrifice. Because of all that you've done, Lord, my life is yours. This is the picture of a living sacrifice. So when Paul is appealing, when God is appealing through the Apostle Paul in Romans 12, And he says, I appeal to us as Christians because of the mercy of God that you would present your lives as a living sacrifice. This is the picture that we're willing to do whatever he's called us to do because of all that you've done. My life is yours. So. What happens when we forget mercy? We lose perspective. That's what happens. We lose perspective. It's kind of like the boy, the story of the little boy who wanted his mother to pay him for all his chores. He thought of a good idea, the, the, the boy thought of a good idea. He said, I'm, I'm going to write a note for my mom. So he wrote a note for his mom and he wrote down the itemized bill for his mom. For washing the dishes, $5. For cleaning my room, that'll be $5. For hanging my clothes, that'll be $5. For mowing the lawn, that'll be $5. I'll sign that boy up right now. He had his itemized list. And at the end of the list, he had, he had, I owe, he said, you, you owe me $20. He had a bill for $20. So the mom woke up in the morning and saw the itemized bill. And she put $20 on the table and taped it to a note. And the note said this. For carrying you for nine months and being sick as a dog, no charge. For staying up all night when you were sick, no charge. For working overtime so you could get those special shoes, no charge. For entertaining your friends without prior notice, no charge. Signed, your mother, your mother who loves you, no charge. You get it? Right? When we forget mercy, we become like the little boy. 
We're like, God, yeah, yeah I'm going to do something for you, but it's like you, you, you kind of owe me a little something, so I'm going to do something for you. You did something for me, right? The picture of the sacrificial living is a picture of the mother. Hey, I, I went through all this pain in childbirth, but it's no charge. I willingly did it because I love you. Cooking your meals and staying up with you when you're sick, no charge. Do we get it? Do we see it? For all you have done, we will give all that we are. Amen? Amen. A living sacrifice. So the question we have to ask ourselves is this, is what is God calling you to? What's he calling you to? What is the Lord asking you to do so that his name would be glorified in the body of Christ and in our community? What's he asking of you? What's he calling us to? You know, I think sometimes... Sometimes if we're not careful, if we lose perspective, we'll sit back and we'll say something like this. I'm good. I'm good. You know, I've, I've, I've done my fair share. You know, I've gone on the mission trips and I've, I, I, you know, I give a lot. Or, you know, I've done my fair share. I'm good. I'll let someone else serve. I'll sit back and watch. You know, truth is, is in the body of Christ, it should be a fight or a race. To see who signs up first to be a part of serving God's people and reaching out in our community. Should it not? It shouldn't be that I sit back as well. I've, I've, I've worked really hard for the Lord for all these years. I've really served him so faithfully and sacrificially that we enter a season where God doesn't want to use us. I want, I want us all to know here today, there is no season of our life where we can get to the point where God doesn't want to use you to glorify his name. There's no season of our life or point of our life that, that we've, we've, we've paid into the works-based system. God, I've given you this, I've given you this, I've given you this. And now I sit back and I watch and I let other people serve and do things for the glory of God to serve the body, to reach the community for Christ. No, no. For all that you've done, I will give all that I am in every season of my life. This is the picture. This, this, this mercy is our motivation and sacrificial living is our response. Everyone in the body of Christ is called to be a minister. You are, and you are, and you are. All of us are. That's not just me. I get up here and talk for 45 to 50 minutes every Sunday. Certainly, I'm not the only one called to minister. Certainly, this is not the only ministry that should be done. There are many other ways that we can minister. We are all called to be ministers. And so before we talk about gifts, before we talk about how your gift might be different than your gift and my gift is different than your gift and and God uniquely designed us to work together for the glory of his name, before we talk about all those things, may we stop and remember, may we get the why down first. Because I can talk about all the gifts in a couple of weeks, but if you don't have the why answered and the motivation answered, you'll, 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 you'll just hear and say, well, yeah, that's their gift. That's their gift. It's not my gift. I don't know if I have a gift. I want to tell you, you all have gifts. I can preach that sermon right now on spiritual gifts. You all have gifts. Use them. You, just, just, just use them. Just serve. Just serve each other. Love each other. What's your gift? Our gifts are to love each other, to serve each other, to pray for each other, and to take that unity and to, and to blow out these doors and to go into the community and to love and to serve and to give so that others can be born again, so that others can come and be a part of the body so that we can love on them and serve them and see them come to maturity. Everyone in the body of Christ is called to be a minister. I love what First Corinthians 6 says, 19 through 20. Paul again, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. I just I love that. He says he says this is this is from God. 
Your body's a temple and it comes from God. He said, so, so you are not your own. Why are we not our own? Because we've been bought with a price, the precious blood of the lamb. Very similar. The next verse is very similar to the, the buy in Romans 12.1. We see another reason why. So, because you're not your own, because you've been bought with a price, so, because of that, so, glorify God in your... You guys, I, what time is it? It's 11 or 3. It's not even lunch yet. You guys just pay attention really close, huh? Okay, y'all are quiet. So what? Glorify God in your, in your body. You know, in the body of Christ, there's two different types of growths that we can have. Two different types of growth that we can have in the body. Two possible ways we can grow. Here's the two types of growth that will happen in the body of Christ. One of them is called parasitic growth. And here's, here's what happens. Parasitic growth is this. Sing to me, preach to me, counsel me, help me, but expect nothing from me. Only one person is benefiting and growing. That's called parasitic growth. That's like leech growth. I want to latch onto you so you can give me, give me, give me, give me. And people are growing. People are growing. But the growth that is necessary in the body of Christ is called symbiotic growth. And here's what that sounds like. How can my voice bless someone else? We hear Pastor Ben every Sunday. But, but how can my voice bless someone else? How can I help counsel someone else? How can I help? And this growth that occurs, it, it occurs when two organisms benefit and grow together. We give and we serve and we love and we give to each other and we grow together and we become mature in Christ and we, we serve our community and, we, and the gospel goes forward. Parasitic growth or symbiotic growth. So mercy is our motivation. Sacrificial living is our response. And lastly, I, I, I didn't really tell you that I, I had a third point. It's really, we can call it a conclusion or a third point. Which one would you like, a conclusion or a third point? Third point? Third point? That, that, that just means I've got to have another conclusion. So let's just call it a conclusion and a third point in one. Okay, so mercy is our motivation. Sacrificial living is our response. Third point, which is my conclusion, worship is the result. Look, at the, look, look, look back at the text, Romans 12, 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, because of the mercies of God, that you would present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Isn't that so good? Worship is the result Worship is what happens when believers remember mercy and they live sacrificially. Worship is the result. A sacrificial life lived for the glory of God is worship to his name. When you guys were up there in Honduras and you were dealing with the heat and you were stuck in the mud and as Jared said, mud up to his neck. When you were, when you were working and sacrificing, living as a living sacrifice, it was worship being offered up to the Lord. Right In our life, in our marriage, husbands, wives, when we are loving our spouse and we're serving our kids and we're living for the glory of name in our relationships, it is worship unto the Lord. When we are patient with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, when we pray for one another, when we care for one another, it is worship unto the Lord. I say it like this, a, a worshiping church is a serving church. You can have a church and, and they may say, hey, we, we got worship down. We are worshiping church. You ought to come listen to us sing. If they don't serve, 
that worship is like a noisy gong and a clanging cymbal. If it's not love, if there's no love, there's no service, then it's not worship. But I will say this, a worshiping church will be a serving church because a serving church is a worshiping church. They worship not just through their songs, but through their serving, through their giving. A generous church is a worshiping church. And a worshiping church will be a generous church. You guys are a generous church. You give and you love and you serve. Worship is the result of a life lived for the Lord. A person that is grateful for the undeserved mercy of the gospel is a person that will live a life of sacrificial service for the glory of God. And that life will be like a sweet-smelling sacrifice of worship to the Lord. Amen. I love what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 2. He gives this picture of a living sacrifice. Living to serve the Lord. Sweet-smelling aroma. Listen what Paul says. But thanks be to God. He has made us his captives. And continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphal procession. Now he uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere. Like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. Amen. Amen. That is so good. That is so good. May our lives be like a Christ-like fragrance. Think about that. How good did Christ smell to God? That day in the garden, before his crucifixion. Lord, if it's possible, let this cup pass through me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. Oh, but that smelled so good to the Father. A living sacrifice. And listen to what the scripture says that when we live for the glory of his name, God uses us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere. And our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. In the same way that Christ pleased his Father, we can please God the same way. And it can be the same Christ-like fragrance to God. It's pleasing to him. So mercy is our motivation. Sacrificial living is our response. And worship is the result. So my call to all of us here today is that we would not forget our why. That we would not forget the reason why we do what we do. And maybe some of you here today, you've been, you've been struggling with your reason why. And maybe you're serving and you need to take a, take a season off. Because you forgot the reason why. And you need to remember mercy. And if you will remember mercy, you will remember what Christ has done in you and for you. That motivation will return and that desire to really serve, to be a living sacrifice will rise back up in your heart. And my prayer is that all of us, with our hearts set on Christ, with an understanding of the mercy that he's given us, would be a body that is filled and grown through symbiotic growth. That, 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 that we grow because I love you and I serve you and you love me and you serve me and we do it for the glory of Christ and we become mature in the faith and we become evangelists that go outside these four walls and call others to repent so they can confess Christ like Chris and Lexi did and so that they can grow and they can become mature so that they can live as living sacrifices for the glory of his name. It's this circle that never ends. 
Mercy is our motivation. Sacrificial living is our response. And worship will result from the sacrificial living of Christians. Amen. Let's end singing this song. It's called Build Build My Life. Can you guys end singing with me? Would you stand to your feet? Amen. Lord, lead us in your love to those around us. To serve, to live for you, for the glory of your name. And I pray that, that all of that will be done because of our, the, the, the motivation of the mercy of God. Because of your great mercy, may our hearts desire to live as living sacrifices to glorify you, to love others, to serve others, to spread your gospel. I thank you for your people, for the body that you're building here at Living Word, for the work that you're doing in our hearts, for the unity that you're bringing. You know, we pray that we would unify together for the sake of your name. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. I love you. I'll see you next time.